Well, good morning again, church. Kind of, sort of, maybe, ish. Good morning, ish. So we're wrapping things up. Short little four-part series. Uh, trying to emphasize that uh, this book, if it's anything, it's a story. It's not only a story, but it is that. It is at least that. And uh, we've, we've, we've walked through creation, fall, redemption. Today we're going to talk about consummation, creation, the original good creation. Fall, the perversion of that creation through the rebellion we call sin. Last week, redemption, the beginning of that restoration in Christ. And so today is consummation, the completion of that restoration in Christ. And so to, to kind of bring us up to speed, I'd like to do a quick review from last week. Be a short quiz before you're allowed to leave today. So last week, there was a comparison contrast of two atoms, right? The first atom, Adam. And the second Adam, Jesus, sometimes called the last Adam, sometimes called the final Adam. And uh, if you remember, if you were here last week, I talked about this likeness and unalikeness that, the, uh, that, that Paul was trying to portray and other, other uh, uh, New Testament writers trying to help us to understand. Yes, there's likeness, and yet there's unalikeness. So you'll see up on the, I, I call it the screen. It is a screen, yeah. Review of the redemption plot movement. Sin and death came through the first Adam. Righteousness and life through Jesus or the second Adam. Through the first Adam's disobedience, we inherit death and relational estrangement. We are estranged to God. There's distance between us and God. There's distance between us and others. And there's distance between us and us. Like, we don't even know who we are. But through the second Adam's obedience, relational harmony, relational integrity is available to all who believe. Third, the second Adam was not only human, but also divine. Fourth, the divine verdict behind the first Adam's action was judgment. The divine verdict behind the second uh, Adam's action is acquittal. And we have to, this acquittal thing, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is much broader than simple, for, this is like not guilty, acquittal. Next, the first Adam died because of his sin. The second Adam died because of, our sin and finally the image of God in the first Adam was marred still present but marred the second Adam is the very image of God if you're here last week I asked I asked probably like the most fundamental question that can be asked to which Adam do you belong the first Adam or the second Adam. There is no third choice. You either belong to the first Adam and you bear all the consequences inherent in his actions or you belong to the second Adam and you reap all the benefits inherent in his actions. So as we begin the final plot move in consummation, 
I'd like, to, I'd like to kind of continue with this first Adam theme of comparison contrast, specifically in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, so I'm going to just, here's where we're going. I'm going to use a couple of Paul's passages as bookends, and in the middle, we're going to walk through some extensive passages in the book of Revelation. Like, if we're talking about consummation, we should probably go to the book of Revelation, Right? So, passage from Paul, Revelation, passage from Paul, and we'll wrap it up. So, if you want to begin to head to Revelation chapter 5, please feel the freedom to do that. I'm going to walk through three verses in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 47 through 49. And again, this is a picking up or a continuation, since the consummation is a continuation of what Christ did in the redemption motif, I thought it only fitting to, to pick up this first Adam, second Adam theme. 1 Corinthians 15, 47 through uh, uh, 49. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I, I, I mentioned the fact that we are dust creatures. The second man is from heaven. Verse 48, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who of, are of heaven. And that question continues to ring in my ears. To which Adam do you belong? Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So let me uh, provide a few comments on this passage, and then we'll head to Revelation 5. So in the context of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's talking about the difference between two kinds of bodies. And by bodies, I'm talking about physical bodies. So he's talking, he's comparing and contrasting the difference. The natural and the spiritual. Here the spiritual in this context as the resurrected body. In verse 47, the first man, Adam, became a living being is actually a quote from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Adam was made from the dust of the ground, given the breath of life from God. However, the last Adam, Jesus, is a life-giving spirit. Just as Adam was the first of the created human race, we might say that Jesus, the second Adam, is the, is the, uh, the first of the recreated human race, of those who will be raised from the dead to everlasting life. Christ's new glorified human body now suits his new glorified spiritual life, just as Adam's human body was suitable to his natural life. That's what Paul is telling us in verses 48 and 49. That because we, all of humanity, are somehow some way bound up with Adam as our head, we have an earthly body like his. Earthly bodies that are fitted for this place. Fitted for life on this earth. Yet... What do we realize now? Because we're, we're in this, I'm going to talk about at the end of the sermon, time between times, right? And yet, this earthly body, mine and yours, limited, right, by death, 
by disease, by weakness. Why? Because of sin, which as we've seen, the first Adam brought with him into the world. Thank you, Adam. However, the good news is that when we as Christians are finally resurrected, God will give us a transformed immortal body suited to everlasting life, just like Christ's. So the reference here to a spiritual body in verse 46 does not mean as it sometimes, and I've heard it from Christians, as does not mean this kind of ghostly, intangible entity, no. The adjective spiritual does not tell us what the body is made of, but rather what empowers it. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about the other side of, of basically the book of Revelation. Us in our resurrected bodies. Josh was sharing before many of you got here about um, his challenges with, with reading late at night now. Something that he didn't experience earlier in life, but as he is aging, what do we, what do we know who are a little bit older than Josh? Stuff happens, right? Like stuff happens. When, you're, when I was like 10, and I'd scrape my knee or, 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 or break a leg or something like that, you just shake it off and all good, right? You're just good to go. Like, you can't do that anymore. But maybe I the resurrected body, it's important to the story. But all of this, so what Paul is talking about here presupposes something, doesn't it? And for that something, we need to turn to Revelation chapter 5. Hopefully you're there. Revelation 5, I'm going to start at verse 1. It's an incredible scene. So, so John has been like lifted up in this heavenly vision, heavenly scene, and he's seeing some incredible stuff. Some of it, like, words can't capture. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? It's like this massive pronouncement. Verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Check out John's reaction to all of this in verse 4. We're reading this. this is, how long did this take him to experience this? He writes, And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. The scroll here represents nothing less than the title deed to the, to the consummation of history, to the closing of history, to the end of the story, as we might put it. If it's not opened, then ultimate redemption, the ultimate fulfilling of our longings, you long, I long, I know. We have these unfulfilled longings that nothing in this place can fill. Almost as if we were made for another place. 
If this scroll isn't opened, our, if I could put it this way, our happily ever after ain't going to happen. It will never be realized. Then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. I invite you to take this in. He 
find myself when I'm reading this passage and then what follows I'm going to be there you're going to be there what like God wrote us into the story right this is incredible stuff For me, he's worthy. But I can only answer that. And for him, he's worthy. But I can only answer that for me. Is he worthy for you? Is he worthy of everything you have to give? It's a fair question. A lot happens between that moment and the end of the story but I'd like to kind of fast forward to what I'm calling the end of the story and up until now I I want you to hear at the end of the story in air quotes okay because I want to qualify that so if you're following along go all the way to Revelation chapter 21 and I'm going to try and read this through without much without much comment, without much editorializing, except at the end of verse 1. So I'm going to start in Revelation 21. I'm going to go 1 through 11, then 22 through 27. This, is, this, this vision here, this image here, is what's known, famously known as the beatific vision, the vision of God himself, like what our hearts are longing for. Revelation 21.1 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And here's the phrase, and the sea was no more. If you were here a few weeks ago when I talked about creation, uh, read a passage from Genesis 1 where the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And I talked a little bit about ancient Near East cosmology. And they, they understood the waters as dangerous. Like that was like, don't mess with the waters. And right in the, at the, from the get-go, what do we see? The Spirit of God hovering over, controlling, taking charge of the waters. What do we see here at the very, that's the beginning of the story. What do we say here at the, see here at the end of the story? The waters, the danger, gone and the sea was no more verse 2 just drink this in close your eyes if you need to and I saw the holy city new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, crying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you, if you get that, you understand that, if you've by grace accepted, embraced Jesus' offer of salvation, you just read about yourself. You just read about your future. Whoa. Part of me wants to say, seriously? Like, is this real? Is this? Because this sounds too good to be true. And yet it is. This is crazy. So part of me is there, but the other part's here, right? Where does this all leave us? Like, because that's then, it's not now. And I am here and not there, and so are you. 
Where do we go from here? So I told you on the front end, I'm going to book a couple of passages in Revelation with a couple of passages from the Apostle Paul. So I think Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, has some, some wisdom to share that will serve as that bookend. And I want to I read two verses from Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. Then I want to unpack it for us and we'll head towards closing. Notice I didn't say closing, I said head towards closing. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. Does a body matter? It does. Front-end passage, resurrected body. Back-end passage, resurrected body. Who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. I want to go back to that phrase, our citizenship, our heavenly citizenship. Because it conveys a dual meaning. Yes, I fully believe my ultimate citizenship is in heaven. I have no problem with that. But Paul is after a dual meaning here, which would have been understood, which would have struck a chord with the Philippians, which, if we're not familiar with the background, we will gloss right over. And this is all in the context of what now? What do we do now? Right? Because we're here and not there. So I'm trying to help us understand what do, how, how now should we live in light of the hope that is ours? Passages in Revelation. We, we celebrated the Lord's Supper. In light of that hope, how now should we live? So this, the, the, the city of Philippi in Greece was a Roman colony. And many there had the privilege of Roman citizenship. Massively important. So check this out. The Roman expansion strategy was that Roman citizens of a colony were not supposed to desire to go back to Rome. Their responsibility was to secure a conquered country. How? By permeating the culture with a heavenly, well, with a Roman culture. So Paul, in telling Christians in Philippi that they were citizens of heaven, while that's true, the double meaning is this. He was telling them to permeate Philippi. Permeate Philippi. Permeate their world with a heavenly culture as a prophetic witness of the reality of the return of the second Adam. That's what's going on there. Don't, in other words, Paul is saying, what's the old phrase? Do not be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. Paul is saying, begin to colonize in the best sense of that word. Permeate wherever you live and whoever you influence with the fragrance of heaven with a heavenly culture as a prophetic witness that the king is coming back 
as a prophetic witness of the return of the king. Those of us who are Christians, we are citizens of heaven. Taking Paul's words to heart, that means in part we are to permeate this place, man, with a heavenly culture, helping people understand there is more to life than this life. Next week, Pastor Jeremy will be back in the saddle, and uh, we're going to start a new sermon series, Rediscover Church. This is all in the context of what do we do now, Rediscover Church. I'm one who, I like book titles, but if there's a subtitle, I want to read that because that's the author cluing us into what's happening with it. Here's the subtitle. Why the body of Christ is essential. So I submit to you that a key to I'm here, not there, so how do I live well now, right? A key is this, this, this colony of heaven here on earth. Notice why the body of Christ is not an afterthought. Why the body of Christ is optional. No, it's why the body of Christ is essential. That's it. That's the only litmus test that God told the, the, the boys, told the, the disciples, and by extension us, that the world would know that he's coming back, that he's legit, that he's real. By what? Our love for one another. By starting within this body that a heavenly culture permeates this place and it moves out from here. So in this time between times, I think that's, that's the message. In closing, the story of the Bible begins in a garden and it ends in a city. It begins with God dwelling with two people and ends with God dwelling with a multitude of every tribe, nation, language, tongue, dwelling with them as his people. It begins with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. I've been saying the story ends. Now I want to qualify that. Because that's as far as the Bible goes, right? But that's not where, really, where the story really ends. I think C.S. Lewis was onto something when he wrote at the end of his last book, or at the end of his book, The Last Battle, which is the seventh and final book in the Chronicles of Narnia series. He wrote these words. And as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. 
last. They were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before.